As President of the United States of America, I can now tell you, the people of the entire world, that as of 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the defense of this nation, and with it, the defense of the free world, has been the responsibility of a machine. A system we call Colossus. Far more advanced than anything previously built. Capable of studying intelligence and data fed to it. And on the basis of those facts only, deciding if an attack is about to be launched upon us. Hello and welcome to the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is episode 89, recorded August 20th, 2023. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And we've got a double header for our grand finale of our summer series, Atomic Summer, beginning with uh, 1970s Colossus, The Forbidden Project. Yes, we're going to have ourselves a supercomputer double feature today. And uh, but yes, starting with the Forbin Project. The this was a movie that I had literally just learned about this summer. So yeah, when, uh, same. Yeah, when we were getting ready to do Day of the Earth Stood Still, I was listening to the audio commentary, and uh, one of the one of not um, the guy who directed Star Trek Two, um, uh, Nick Meyer. Yeah, Nick Meyer brought this brought this up, and I was like, what What is this? And so you know, I Googled it and checked it out, and was like, oh, that's that's interesting. And then I had like I, I took a science fiction class this summer and they brought it up then too and then the criterion collection was or the criterion channel was putting it on their streaming service mm-hmm. and i was like well i guess the universe is telling me to watch this and tim had mentioned our second movie um as a possible episode for for the atomic summer and i was like oh well this could make for an interesting double feature so yeah yeah, yeah. uh i think it does and we'll we'll get to that second movie in a little bit but let's mm-hmm. start with colossus so this is is based on a novel that had been published just a few years earlier in the mid sixties uh, about a supercomputer that is given control over all of the United States nuclear armaments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I in a lot of ways I feel like this could have been like if I was going to describe this to people plot wise I would say like take Hal and Gort and kind of put it together and this you kind of get Colossus. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. And this, there are you. This is so, yeah. This is based off a book by uh, Dennis Feltham Jones, and there, it's a trilogy of books, right? Yeah, yeah. He apparently wrote two sequels uh, a little bit later. the The movie had already come out, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, this is very 1970. <laughs> if there's anything yeah. I can say for it, um, <laughs> so this is uh, this is directed by Joseph Sargent, who did uh, the taking of Pelham one, two, three a little bit later. And uh, apparently when they were making the movie, they had actually, for Forbin, they had actually thought about having Charles and Heston or Gregory Peck play, mm-hmm. uh, play Forbin. But then, but then uh, the producer was like, we should actually probably get an unknown. And I do think that was a smart idea. But at the same time, I could see Gregory Peck doing this and it, and it working out okay. So yeah, yeah. Gregory Peck could absolutely have done this and it were, would have worked just as well, maybe better Mm-hmm. And I think it probably would have stuck more in the general public consciousness if it had some star power. Uh, in in the course of watching this movie, I didn't have any moment where I was like, oh, hey, it's that guy. There's there's no that guy that I remember in this movie. There's, there are I, two I didn't that recognize. guys. Yeah. There are two that guys for me. Uh, one is uh, uh, that lady. Um, so Marion Ross, Mrs. Cunningham from Happy Days. Uh, okay. Is, yeah. Yeah. So and James Hong. From 
oh, every movie ever. That's right. Yeah, yeah, James Hong was in this very, very briefly. Yeah, so he's like he's like a he has like one real line of dialogue, but then mm-hmm. he's like in the background of a lot of scenes. But yeah, um, there's a whole lot of yeah, like the president is this like Kennedy esque guy that mm-hmm. I don't recognize. Oh, well, but there is one. There is actually one really famous that guy that I forgot to talk about during our last double feature, and that's William Shallert. So he plays the 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 arm he plays the cia guy who's like talking about ah, okay his end okay. Of things. so he was he was actually in our last double feature in both movies <laughs> i just forgot to to highlight it because he plays a doctor in them and he plays the dentist in mance in matinee so like so yeah so william Shallard, man okay. i actually really like him he's uh yeah. he's one of those character actors who just shows up in things he was i think he was like patty duke's dad on the patty duke show or something. well one of the patty duke's in that um but yeah he's uh, he was on star trek a lot too if i remember correctly okay so, so yeah, yeah there there is a little bit of a through line there yeah as it uh, accidentally so yeah yeah but i guess we should actually see what this what this movie is about <laughs> so as as uh those of you who haven't seen this movie which i'm guessing is, is probably nearly everybody who's listening right now who have not seen this movie it's not much of a spoiler it doesn't take much knowledge to guess that Almost immediately, things go off the rails. The computer takes control, goes haywire. Humans are no longer dominant over it. And really, the rest of the movie is pretty much Forbin and his compatriots trying to regain control in some fashion. Yeah, the only thing I think you should bring up is that um, they, they bring Colossus online. So Colossus is this big supercomputer that's like housed in a Colorado mountain and everything um and that's going to come up again mm-hmm. and so when they put him online the he suddenly finds his russian counterpart or his soviet counterpart like mm-hmm. almost immediately and they make friends almost immediately <laughs> yeah yeah deduces that there is another comparable system with a, a similar function somehow mm-hmm. and and demands to be connected to it and they figure well okay Okay, maybe that's a good idea. Well, should have thought mm-hmm. this through a little more, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Colossus itself is designed to be completely impenetrable and fully autonomous. It's It's got an atomic power source, so it's it's going to run on its own for you know, an indefinite period of time is the idea. Yep. Um, and you can't bomb the mountain it, because... It's it too would, deep. It's, it's too deep. And if you try to go in in person it's gonna defend itself yeah there's there's some sort of radioactive moat or something that they they said they didn't really go into detail about how that was supposed to work but yeah and and to be honest if this movie was made later than 1970 maybe they would have gone into it but you know this it just struck me as the this would cost too much money so we're just going to tell you Mm -hmm. um sort of Mm -hmm. situation and uh yeah this is the voice of colossus the voice of guardian we are one this is the voice of unity Yes. After reviewing all personnel files, I have selected you to serve as long as you cooperate as my link to your species. Well, I guess let's start with what works for you in this. So so what works for you, Tim? So a lot works in this movie. Not not everything, but what works is the general sense of helplessness and and dread and and near panic throughout most of the the film forbin himself uh remains pretty 
cool and collected for the mm-hmm. most part. I mean, even he's got moments where it's like, okay, this is bad, but he's still not panicking. And that's, I, I question that a little bit, but mostly it works. So it's like, mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody recognizes pretty early on how bad this is. And, and that underlying sense of we are in so much trouble runs throughout the movie. And it's, it's very effective and very, very tense. Yeah. And so like Forbin is, he's just, he's just this guy. Um, I, I wouldn't want to compare him to Oppenheimer because I think Oppenheimer had more humility. Um, but yeah, yeah, Forbin, like what, what really gets interesting is when Forbin is more or less stuck having to just be constantly surveilled by Colossus. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that, that time is really I mean, it's sort of funny. It's probably the closest thing we have to like humor in this. And like that time where he's just trying to like deal with that is really is is one of the better points for me. I particularly like the part where Colossus calls him out and putting too much vermouth in his drink and maybe wonder how much vermouth are you supposed to put it that much in it? Then I remembered that Winston Churchill thing about uh-huh. how he would just look at the bottle and that was enough vermouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so that's that's what I thought of when I was watching this. Um, but yeah, what the what also works for me is Paul Freese's voice for Colossus. Yeah, yeah, uncredited, it's, but uncredited. But um, it's it's interesting because it's very robotic sounding, but that's the point of it. Mm-hmm. It's very different from Hal, which I think was a was a good idea. Um, at times, it could be more dynamic, but I feel like if you took that, if you added more more of that to the voice, it would lose the 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 well the robot aspect of it. It would lose the the computer part of it and so like i think they made the right choice there yeah i i agree it's it's electronically enhanced and it's it's very grating and unsettling and creepy and it's, it's it that totally still works you could use basically the same thing in a movie now and it would sound you know, a little bit dated mm-hmm. but i think it would still be effective yeah totally but yeah like uh i kind of like the the overall tone the well, the, the dreadful tone of it that it has throughout basically the whole movie um, from the moment they turn it on, there's like maybe like five seconds of, yeah, this is great. And they're like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think they do a good job of keeping that going and having the having the dread of it all. Like, I think it does a pretty good job of just, you know, not overstaying its welcome. It does have kind of a, a I, I kind of a I'm not going to say it's a an ending that falls flat. I want to say it's more of a wah, wah kind of ending, but in a, in a manner that makes sense for the story it's telling. So yeah, it's very, yeah. very of 1970 in that regard. No, the, the ending I think makes a lot of sense with the overall yeah. rest of the work. Uh, I don't know how well it would play now. I, I think you yeah. could have it end the same way, but you would have to change the the dialogue a little bit. Uh, yeah, there'd have to be some adjustments, yeah, but it would still yeah. be the same ending. Yeah. yeah, but this this is 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 kind of a horror thriller in a in a way. In um, a way, yeah. And it it works as as that, and apparently is a pretty straight adaptation of the uh, source novel uh, mm-hmm. on which it's based. So yeah, I, I I think that was sort of the intention was to yeah it's it's meant as kind of a a wake up call it's this is supposed to be frightening and unsettling it's like let's 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 keep an eye on things like like a lot of the movies we've we've talked about so far this is the voice of world control i bring you peace it may be the peace of plenty and content or the peace 
of unburied death. The choice is yours. Obey me and live, or disobey and die. All right, so what doesn't work for you? <laughs> okay, so uh, this movie, as uh, as we said before we started recording, looks very, 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 very 1970. Yeah. Now, it's supposed to be in the sort of nebulous, not very distant future from the time it was released. Apparently, mm-hmm. the, the book is set sometime in the 90s, which would be, okay, it's a couple of decades off. Uh, and in the movie, they've, they've got some technology, like they've got, to like a video, video communication yeah. yeah is is a is a common thing and yeah that was not a thing really in in the 70s it is you know now mm-hmm. but that's way more recent yep but you know looking at it from a from a modern perspective the rest of the technology and how it works and how it operates and and being based largely on what real 1970s computer technology looked like whether this is actually real 70s technology or not, this is going to have all kinds of problems. <laughs> so it's okay. You know, suspend your disbelief, go with it for the sake of the movie. But from the word go, where we, we see at the very beginning of the movie, some of the innards of Colossus itself. It's okay. This is in most ways, a mechanical computer. There are punch tapes. There are magnetic tapes. You know, there are, you know, mechanisms physically moving things around and it's okay. You've, you've got a a nuclear power source. Great. This is going to run for ages all on its own, except mechanical parts are going to break down. Yeah. This is going to need to be serviced. You're going to have tape jams, all, all kinds of stuff. You know, magnetic tape reels are going to get eaten by the mechanisms all sorts of things are going to eventually go wrong. So that's that's point one. Yeah, and that's only because of how it had to have been. Now, I suppose like they're going to be like, well, they've just technology has advanced so long that those jams don't happen. And like I can sort of accept that, but at the same time, there is so many moving parts mm-hmm. that it does seem like something is going to go wonky. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, and, and there isn't a line that says that uh, no. Forbin like puts in a a maintenance bot or something that Mm-mm. will solve those problems or anything. It's not like if if they had a line for that, it would kind of get beyond that. But there we are. Yeah. Yeah. Mechanical parts of this this machine would need to be serviced mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's point one. Point two is that oh, this is you know somehow got you know, emergent properties that we didn't foresee. It's it surpassed its its programming and is is somehow even more powerful of a computer than we realized. Well, okay, you you've got you know an entire hollowed out mountain that's that's full of all these computer components, but it's still got a finite capacity. It it can't suddenly, you know, reconfigure, oh well this this part that was here is now, you know, a hundred times more powerful than the part that was originally installed again without servicing. So it's like, okay. Yeah. And, and unless that they deliberately overbuilt this thing, like a thousand times more powerful than it needed to be. That's a bit of a leap. Mm-hmm. I think we can kind of like do the suspension of disbelief sort of thing, or at least we may yeah. have been more better to do that in the seventies than like now like when i think about like someone like if i had seen this like if i had seen this when i was a kid i probably would have been fine with it 
But if I had like if I was a kid now and watching this movie, I'd be like, this doesn't. Yeah, like this is that it would be too much of a leap for me because of just how like not weird, how primitive, quote unquote, this mm-hmm. technology looks that it's hard to go go that way. And another thing that kind of like sort of doesn't make a whole lot of sense here. And I, I'm going to sound like someone's grandmother for a moment <laughs> is like I'm I'm cool with the fact that the Colossus learns like the it has sure. that artificial intelligence things where it learns things and it gets smarter and like that like I can deal with that like that's 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 neat yeah um, yeah the funny thing is is that like it gets knowledge doesn't really get wisdom um mm-hmm. in this and in, in in that it's he made a petulant teenager computer that doesn't mature <laughs> as as it goes on and maybe that's because like we feel like it's supposed to like humans have nuance and that's the human element that we that that we have but you would think that if you were designing a computer a big giant computer you would not want to put petulant teenager logic into it but yeah what do i know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i i feel like that was not deliberate and, and yeah likewise i'm okay with okay you you've got these heuristic algorithms and it's it's yeah. capable of learning and improving its software mm-hmm. but it's it's still a finite hardware capacity so it's okay that's yeah there's 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 some some gray area here sure i can suspend my disbelief and and yeah. i did you know you, you you go with it for the rest of the movie but yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point of conversation is, okay, it, it learns facts and and figures and, you know, some of those details, but it never really gets context, mm-hmm. but somehow still ends up, you know, an, an angsty, you know, petty, petulant, vindictive adolescent. Yeah. And I, and that vermouth scene, I think is actually a pretty good illustration of it when, so Forbin is like making himself a gin martini, which mm-hmm. tells us everything about his character, in my opinion. And <laughs> the, for those of you who t- like gin martinis, it's cool. I'm just making fun of you a little. Um, <laughs> it's all in good fun. And uh, Colossus says, you put too much vermouth in it. And, and that's because like, it doesn't, it knows the recipe, but it doesn't understand like taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, th- I think that's a pretty good example of like the of what and a very small, very little scene that actually tells us a lot in what is supposed to be a funny moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. have to agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like uh, another thing that doesn't like that I like, but it doesn't work for me. And this it's hard for me to blame the movie about this, but I feel like I can is it's just overall design is it's. Like um, we would we would call it retrofuturism now, but it wouldn't be called that then. And it's the fact that this is not, I can deal with the technology stuff and everything, mm-hmm. but it's just like everything else looks so 1970. Like it's they didn't think to like make a bad guess. So, I mean, the reason why like Star Wars kind of gets away with it. Yeah, everyone's got a 70s haircut in space, but they're in space. So yeah. <laughs> it has a context that doesn't make it seem weird like when they're walking around in like paris or, or is it in no, rome but like when they're walking around in like rome and like doing their thing all the cars look like 70s cars everything looks like very yeah. of that time and that kind of like makes this weird incongruency with what's going on so it's like yeah we put all this work into making video phones but we didn't like make 
cars better or we didn't like try to make clothes look a little bit different like they like you know from 1965 yeah. to 1970 clothes looked kind of different you think they could have thought of something uh, maybe it wasn't in the budget maybe no one thought of yeah. it but yeah. that was I... that that was like a thing that kind of like that like really does not work for me and i think might be part of the reason why this movie hasn't had as much of a legacy as like other movies because like you know when you think of like hal and you think of of the day the earth stood still Day of the Earth is still Stranger in a Strange Land, so him looking weird makes a lot of sense. And and how they're in sp- and in two thousand one, you know, they're in space. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's there's ways around this, and I'm wondering if that's part of the reason why audiences like because this was a pretty you know this movie did pretty well and made the best of the decade list for a number of like for a number of publications, but kind of fell off after a bit. And I wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, I I tend to agree. The aesthetic is probably part of why it hasn't aged very well Mm -hmm. uh i do think it would have been a lot more expensive of a movie to make obviously yeah yeah, i'm sure that's a big part of it they clearly spent a lot of money on some of the central sets where where there's Mm -hmm. the the main room in which you know they they have their their own computer banks where they interact with colossus you know Mm -hmm. by by network you know not not directly so yeah uh yeah, and I, I feel like they spent a lot of money there, and I, I agree it would have been better if they hadn't just, you know, shot, you know, random exterior shots of Rome in 1969. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think there could have been, they could have done something to make it look of it. It's like they thought culture was going to stagnate yeah. in, in 1969 and not go beyond that. And that does seem to be a big flaw for this movie. Yeah, so I I would have had a I, I agree an easier time buying that this was from from a standpoint of 1970 the not too distant future mm-hmm. if it had looked a little bit more futuristic. Yeah, or whatever they think futuristic would have looked. If they just made something up, I would have been yeah. fine with that too. And yeah. I and I think I might have gotten over it a little bit if they just told us what time it is, like because we don't get like a, in the year 1993 or something. We don't we don't get anything like that. Which yeah. you know that has its own minus. I mean. So I mean, that that has its own problems too, because like, but you know, then again, like you know, when I watch Back to the Future Part Two, I can kind of get over their fake version of 2015, you know. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. No, same same thing here. Um, yeah. So which which dovetails nicely. So I mm-hmm. after watching the movie, I went and looked up. Okay, what what was the novel like? And yeah, yeah. I I have not actually read these books. Full disclosure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm 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 gonna do you know no the, idea if they're the, even the, available. The, really, the, the air quotes bad thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the Wikipedia synopses. So yeah, based on that, this seems like a pretty straight adaptation of the original book. Mm-hmm. But the two sequels sounds like they went way off the rails in a <laughs> very different direction. Yeah. So. The original book having been set sometime in the 90s. Yeah, well, the second book, in spite of being a direct sequel featuring Forbin and, and some others from his team and Colossus, is set a few centuries in the future. Yeah, I wondered. If- no explanation as to why. Yeah. Just just does, apparently. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that one is the fall of Colossus. So, okay. Mm-hmm. We, Tells you up front, something's going to happen to Colossus and your status quo is going to change. Guess what? There are aliens. Hmm. Nice. And they want some some of Earth's resources for their own purposes. And Mm -hmm. well, Colossus isn't going to let them because it's still doing its job. It's defending the Earth or, you know, humanity somehow. So 
but they're aliens. They're super advanced. They know how to defeat it. So they, they signal and somebody picks it up and, and, you know, you know, cloak and dagger and, you know, avoiding Colossus surveillance and, and such. And they, they managed to shut it down, but then there are aliens and then the book ends. Oh, fun. And then there's the third book in which there are aliens and it's like, crap, there are aliens. We got to do something. Well, the, the big new Colossus that, that had been built was shut down, but the old one had been shut down previously because there was the big new one. So we don't need mm-hmm. the old ones. Like, well, that one's kaput. What if we turn on the old one? Maybe it can get rid of these aliens for us. <laughs> it, oh, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. Sounds it's, pretty it's, crazy. It's, it's very, very, you know, pulpy and not especially thought provoking science fiction kind of material, which yeah. is disappointing coming from the first story. Yeah. I'm not surprised though. All right. So I think I want to hold off about talking about the message of this until we can like talk about it with our second feature, because I think they have a fair amount in common and it might be fun yeah, to like yeah. bounce them off each other. But, uh, but yeah, I think I may, yeah, I think we can just go straight into grades for this. I think your mother was right. I think Frankenstein ought to be required reading for all scientists. So for me, I, I found this entertaining. I found this interesting. I found it very thought provoking and I kind of enjoyed its dreadful you know atmosphere mm-hmm. for for the most part um i do wish it had made some other choices when it came to aesthetic the technology end of things i can kind of get over i just wish it didn't look like 1970 at the same time but uh yeah i think for me i'm actually going to go with like a b minus um i think it's very it's a very fascinating supercomputer movie that somehow fell by the wayside. And I do think it's sort of, it's definitely interesting viewing for people that are into this kind of artificial intelligence sort of genre. And it works really well with the atomic stuff and how it deals with the human element, if you will. So I think it's, it's a fascinating little curio. And if you're into this kind of thing, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Have to agree. I mean, I, I like and dislike pretty much all the same things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of lands it around. Eh, yeah, give give it a flat B because I mean the okay. the atmosphere is is really solid. There there are some definite detractors. This this is not a material. It's it's not. Mm-hmm. It's a little stuffy to be a material for me. I think it's just yeah. a little. Yeah, it's just missing out on the human element, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if if you're into this kind of story and 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 sort of thing, yeah, check it out. It's 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 worth that. Yeah. All right. So yeah, so that is Colossus the Forbin Project. And now we are going to go into our second supercomputer movie, and that is from 1983. Well, the Whopper spends all its time thinking about World War Three. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it plays an endless series of war games using all available information on the state of the world. War games. A much better known movie for all kinds of reasons. Yes, this one is very much a popcorn movie in comparison to to (laughs) Portman. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I like Leonard Maltin actually described it pretty well when it came out. He said it is fail safe for the Pac-Man generation. And that (laughs) is pretty apt. We didn't cover fail safe because we did Dr. Strangelove instead. And I I stick by that choice. But he is not wrong. Uh, He does bring up a 
fair amount of stuff there when he says that. Um, so a little bit of context. Remember, this is 1983. So in this time, we have seen like a celebrity become president. And that was something that kind of worried some people. And can't <laughs> say I blame him. And we'd also at this time had seen um, a fan become an assassin with Mark David Chapman. And so we have like that kind of paranoia is kind of feeding into this a little bit in the screenwriters. And this had actually been the writers when they were working on it had actually been working on it for quite some time because they, their original idea, their, their original plan for the, the guy who designed the, the supercomputer, they originally wanted John Lennon. And, but, uh, that didn't happen. Mm. Um, so but that tells you like this movie came out in 83. He got, he died in 1980. So that kind of tells you how long it took for this movie to come together. Um, but yeah, so this is directed by John Batten, who made his name where the little movie called Saturday night fever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, but to me, he's the guy who remade Dracula in 79, or as I like to call it, Count Langella. And but, uh, you know, uh, yeah. he's yeah, yeah, so he's but no, he's a good director. He does well. This originally started as a Martin Brest movie. And that that's the same guy who would make uh, Beverly Hills Cop and and things like that down the line. And he's the one who actually cast um, Ali Sheedy and Matthew Broderick. And when he and he was making a kind of darker movie. And so he got fired by the studio because they weren't really liking the direction where things were going. And Broderick and Sheedy were worried that they were going to get fired too. But then they met with John Batum and like, they had like a nice little, you can look this up. It's like, they have a nice little story where he makes them run around the set and he sings a song and stuff just to like kind of ease the tension of things. And he's the one that really moved it more towards like a popcorn movie and brought the original screenwriters back on. And they created like this movie that we see that we see now. And I think that that's, probably the best thing that happened um they had a very a much a like i don't know they, they described it as almost like uncovering a nazi plot to describe like the original version of this movie like the mm. the two kids okay. and ali sheedy's character totally goes by the wayside once he gets um taken off to colorado so they did a so i think they did a good job of making a better more interesting film yeah and, yeah definitely yeah. agree um yeah. So this this was uh, new for me. I had seen bits of it here and there, mm -hmm. but I, have, I had never actually watched this one all the way through uh, until I watched it for this. So uh, coming at it from from that perspective, there are you know there's there's a lot of things that that work. It's it is entertaining. It's uh, it is it is more popcorny. I'm I'm glad that it's not super dark because I mean we kind of already had that. Colossus was a movie that existed, yeah, and, and you know 2001 and yeah, yeah, and they brought up Colossus, um, the 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 screenwriters in in one of the the documentaries on one of the DVDs. They like they talk about mm -hmm. Forbin as being an influence on this. Yeah, and and you can definitely see that here. It feels more grounded than mm -hmm. than Colossus. Uh, I feel for the most part, the characters are more relatable, even though we don't really go terribly deep with any of them. It's much more about the the situation. We we get bits and pieces of the uh, the main characters, it, you know, enough to to carry on with. But this mm -hmm. is this is not a character study. It's it's much more about you know the, the situation and all these these groups of people and how they interact and and work this problem from the various angles they have on it. Yes. And so, and this, and I had seen this before. Um, I'd seen this probably, I don't know, like it was the same kind of thing that I'd caught it on TV a lot, but never really sat down and watched it until maybe about seven or eight years ago. And, and I enjoy it. I think it's a, it's a fun movie. 
Um, so what this movie is about is uh, the human element again. This time it's about um, the people at NORAD have decided that we need to take the humans out of the equation because the very first scene of this movie is a, a what turns out to be a drill that, you know, Russia is about to bomb us and we need to retaliate. And the two guys that have to push the button, um, one of them can't make himself push the button. And uh, one of the, the guy who can push the button is Michael Madsen. And this is that's his, this is his first movie, apparently. <laughs> Um, but the other guy just can't do it. And that's when they bring up the whole, maybe we should bring on this supercomputer that we've been developing called Whopper, which yeah. has an, an acronym that I don't remember, but um, they don't usually call it Whopper for, for very much long. They end up calling it something else later. And so they put Whopper on. And one day, a little teenage hacker finds out how to get into it and accidentally starts playing a war game, hence the title. And by the way, this is... Uh, Capital W A R, capital G A M A M E S. Um, so all one word, which I found kind of funny. Um, but, yeah, and some, so, sometimes in some of the titles there's a space, and sometimes there isn't. Yeah, so officially uh, yeah. this does not have a space. So yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, so this is him playing a war game, and he starts playing a war game called Thermo Global, Global Thermonuclear, Thermonuclear War. war. Yeah. And the powers that be kind of figured this out and yeah, and it goes into a weird place. And so our teenage hacker is played by Matthew Broderick in his second movie. And he has a friend in Ali Sheedy. And this, I think this is also an early role for her. And very clearly John Hughes saw this movie mm -hmm. because they both did, like one ended up being in the breakfast club and the other one ended up being Ferris Bueller. He even has a scene where he's like hacking on a computer in Ferris Bueller. So Clearly, this was an influence on something. Yeah, so, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And 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 yeah, and like Ali Sheedy would actually be um, directed by uh, uh, Batman again in Short Circuit some years later or like oh, a couple yeah. years later. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So he is kind of on the run for a little bit, um, trying to figure out how to solve the problem and ultimately goes to find the original programmer who had faked his death. And yeah. So it, this is, it's like, I don't really know how, like from what I'm told, the most unbelievable thing that happens is when he hacks into his school computer, that wouldn't have happened because schools weren't connected like that back then. Yeah, um, I, I think yeah. that is probably the biggest single leap here, yeah. um, which would go unnoticed by most. But mm -hmm. yeah, that, that kind of network connection via modem for a main school computer at the time yeah that's 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 a stretch for sure yeah um that said from a, a technological standpoint as i mentioned this feels more grounded than mm -hmm. colossus i think that's because they're using things that already existed largely yeah, yeah. um so the the semi aware uh computer program running whopper that the operating system underneath uh feels more credible because it's it's not so far future it's okay mm -hmm. it's it's much more rudimentary it doesn't seem to really have any sort of you know emotion or or motivation other than to do what it's been asked to do mm -hmm. and yeah so that that's more believable it it doesn't have a whole lot of agency of its own it's been asked to do this thing and it does it mm -hmm. and and that turns into a problem for you know the the people the human characters but it's it's not trying to do anything that it's aware is is wrong. It's not really interested in 
killing people or or warfare per se. It's, this is just its program. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is its own issue. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so we are treated to like a very interesting little techno sci-fi thriller of him getting around this. The two guys who wrote this would also write Sneakers in, like a little bit later, which is also kind of a techno thriller that's, you know, it's kind of fun and would probably make yeah. for a good double feature with this. And so that kind of gives you an idea of like what this movie is like if you haven't seen it. I don't know why you're listening to us, but still. <laughs> and um, yeah, so my question is like, do you think this is like the beginning of that like scrappy young hacker character that we have? Uh ish yeah um so in in print there had been some characters like this previously oh that makes sense yeah yeah um you know short stories here and there Mm. um and i'm sure there are many more than i personally have read but yeah i i don't think there was a whole lot of prior art in uh in film Mm -hmm. yeah uh i mean a little little bit here and there i mean we we have like you know if you go back a decade to like say scooby-doo we've you know again yeah, you know velma yeah. is 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 brainy the one and mm-hmm. um you know things things like that here and there but not not quite to this degree with the 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 technology aspect yeah yep yep um but i think that's one of the things that works is that it's it knows where to stop <laughs> with the technology yeah it, it knows not to go super crazy um I think uh, another thing that works really well is, uh, is of course, the casting. You know, not just Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy, but I also really like that Dabney Coleman is... Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman, who is, like, the <laughs> pinnacle of 80s, like, smug and smarm. And, like, uh, like if this movie was made in the 90s, it would have been Christopher McDonald, um, <laughs> maybe, um, from yeah. uh, from Happy Gilmore and uh Yeah, he, and he, he could have done it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... And so listen, so Dabney Coleman, it, it's funny because he's actually, this is probably the most serious I've seen Dabney Coleman be, but he's still got that wry bit to himself that, that you like, I mean, this isn't like nine to five Dabney Coleman, but it's still, it's still kind of there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, in terms of its characters, isn't quite as dry as, uh, as Colossus, but the characters are all still just, just a little bit cartoony, a little bit caricature. Yeah. And that's, that's a deliberate choice. I think yeah, that's what happens yeah. when you have teenagers be the main focus. Yeah, yeah. Although and, it takes a, e- even the teenagers. Yeah, but uh, it takes a while for us to actually get to Matthew Broderick. He's like, it's like a good chunk of the movie before he finally shows yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. There's there's that opening sequence with the with the drill that goes on for a, a little bit, and and then there's some of the and the aftermath and, and discussion after that. Yeah. yeah, and that and that's that sort of the the setup and. Mm-hmm. And then kind of after all of that, then we, we get to, to Matthew Broderick who, you know, sort of inadvertently stumbles into things. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And, the uh, and that, and that it's interesting how it's still, the movie still works despite us taking this long to get to this, to those characters. If there's a good amount of, this is actually a pretty good um, example of how you can have exposition and story dump early in your movie and it not slow things down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, those are those are the big things that really work for me. I don't know what else works for you. Uh, so I I think we've we've covered most of it. I mean the, okay. the general atmosphere is it, there's there's tension, but it's it's not overwhelming. Mm. Uh, it's it's still kind of fun and exciting. You know, for the I'm, life of me, I can't remember. Like I always think this is funnier than it is. <laughs> yeah, like, this this isn't really a comedy. There there's some yeah. bits of light humor here and there. You know, kind of you know, some some you know, a couple lines of dialogue that are 
bits of satire snuck in, mm-hmm. but not it's it's not a comedy in and of itself outright. Yeah. And I'm honestly unsure if at the at the video store I worked at, if we shelved this in science, I mean, we should have shelved it in science fiction, I, I think. But we also, I don't, we may have put it in mystery suspense or possibly action. I'm, I'm not sure where we put it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have put this in action if, you know, for, for myself, but either of the others could fit. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. It was just like when I was watching it again, I was like, where did we shelf this? <laughs> and I just could not remember. Um, I mean, I guess I could call. I mean, it still exists, but eh. yeah. <laughs> How can I talk? It's not a real voice. Uh, this box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound. Shall we play a game? Oh. <laughs> I think I missed them. Yeah. Weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. But yeah. Uh, so what doesn't work for you? Uh, yeah, not not a whole lot. Like I, mm-hmm. I do kind of feel like I I wanted to to get a little bit deeper with some of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I understand why they didn't, and it's fine. And the movie works just just as it is. So yeah, I I feel like it does enough, and it's it's effective on on that front. I like I I would have liked to. Okay, so who who are these characters really? You know, who's Who's Ali Sheedy? We we get you know okay yeah we don't get a whole these lot. are these are not the best students they're kind of not paying attention you know Matthew mm-hmm. Broderick is really not paying attention because he's just all wrapped up in his own stuff he is and, an example of the bright kid who's not getting the challenge he needs yeah I think is what they try to set up yeah yeah and he's also shown as in the dinner scene shown as a very interesting composite of his of his parents. Because we have mom working the, the financial stuff uh, on yeah, the phone. Yeah, real estate. Yeah. Doing that, uh, doing that stuff, like being like being a very driven, very, you know, you know, bringing home the bacon kind of lady. Mm-hmm. And then we see dad buttering the bread in a very inventive and unusual way um, with like white bread smothered in butter and then wrapping the corn around the bread to get the butter around the corn. And to me, that actually kind of sets up the bizarre ingenuity that that Broderick is into. Now, he's like a hacker kid, so he's learning a lot of that stuff. But I think that also kind of feeds into like it shows that there's a parental link to this. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I I agree. I like that a lot. It's it's, you know, applying unconventional thinking to okay, I I want butter on my corn. How am I going to do that? I'm not going to butter the corn directly. I'm going to use a piece of bread and, you know, get Mm -hmm. more more even coverage. It's it's that sort of out of the box stuff, and and we see Matthew Broderick doing okay. Probably nobody has thought of doing this, and you know some of it's a little bit brute force, but yep. nobody yep. else thought of doing it, and it works. Yeah. Hey, yeah, how he escapes the the room he's in is, is yeah, like kind of an is, example. Is, of is that. pretty yeah. clever, and yeah. would, that that wouldn't have worked quite that way, but yeah, that that didn't bother me so much. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. All right, cool, and you. You used to be able to when he makes the phone call for free. Like mm-hmm. you used to be able to do that, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On uh, on analog systems, you know, there there a lot of a lot of things like that where you know there's there's all sorts of history around that. Sure, yeah, uh, that's that's all pretty grounded and and realistic. There were people mm-hmm. doing very very much those kinds of things. So, well, and the funny thing is, like, they could have done the the Captain Crunch whistle thing. That, they uh, could. They could. They, but I think that would have been harder for us to accept as an audience. 
it might have been uh in spite of the fact that it was a real thing i know that like that's the thing that i find that's Is, actually that really wild? funny yeah they, they probably uh couldn't work out a, a sponsor deal either so oh yeah good point and there was not a, a burger king tie-in with this so yeah yeah which is kind of surprising yeah we could have had the supercomputer whopper you know mm-hmm. tie-in from from burger king in 1983 but nope comes with chips yeah yeah, yeah. Well, that would I guess that would have been more of a British thing, but <laughs> to call it that, I mean, but yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't have a lot that doesn't work for me. Um, I think it's like it's it works pretty well. Maybe there's a little there has to be a fair amount of exposition that because of this, because of how this story is told, maybe there's a little too much of that. But um, but no, I dig it. Like, I think it's it's got some some great stuff going on for it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. have a whole lot to complain about. Um, like, like it does a very good job of not overstaying its welcome. It gets its ideas out pretty well and pretty quickly, and it also does it in a very entertaining, you know, sort of fashion. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is really entertaining. I was, I was engaged. Uh, I like, I like how it ends. Um, it's, it's thoughtful, but presented in in such a way that it's okay it's it's digestible and, and palatable you don't really have to know a lot about computers in order to, to understand how this works and and how they've presented it and but yeah, the it, computers aren't so like aren't so alien to us because they do a pretty good job of using what would have been around at the time yeah yeah it's 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 very very credible movie computer technology you know without being you know super duper hollywood about it yeah. um the the resolution at the end it, it doesn't overstay its welcome you get kind of a, a pullback at the end it's like okay yeah think things are good we we get you know a little bit of music start to build and it's okay you know like you know okay these these characters may or may not go on to do other things but you know this this particular story is over and that's that's fine we're we're good with with where we've left it they'll they'll figure out whatever's left and you know i wish we did that more these days yeah. I, I feel like there's it's over always when like... it's over and and now yeah. it's over yeah, we always have like a good like five minute epilogue or whatever in movies now that I'm not sure are like totally needed. Like we could just we could just end the movie. It's cool. Nothing yeah, wrong with that, guys. yeah. Some some of those are fine, and you know, I, yeah, I I really enjoy them because it feels like okay, we 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 cut it off. It's like all right, that's done, and you know, leave a lot of hanging threads. This doesn't really do that. Okay, you know, some mm-hmm. some stuff could potentially come out of this afterward with some of these characters, but it doesn't have to. It's, we've we've reached a good stopping point, and and now we're gonna end the movie. Yeah. And uh, in comparison with this and and Colossus, so what do we feel like are the, the messages of both movies and how they kind of go off on each other? So both movies are dealing with the human element when it comes to uh, bombing somebody. Mm-hmm. So like that's something, but both movies are kind of looking at it from a different place. So whereas, although I suppose you could say both are making the point of we can't be trusted with this kind of power, but in different ways. So whereas Colossus, like Gort, um, is, you know, humans can't be trusted with this kind of power, so I'm going to take things over, but I'm going to be, you know, a teenager about it. But whereas, like, the the war, the Whopper, the, or, or Joshua, as it's usually referred to, mm-hmm. like, it comes to the, like, the only way to win is to not play the game. And so, like, I find that interesting that we're, we ha- we're coming from different aspects but coming to like almost the same conclusion is that we should not be doing this yeah with the but with a from a different way i don't know what what do you think tim no i i largely agree um you know colossus in in the context of the story was built to be a deterrent 
Yeah. Um, such, such that, okay, we, we don't have to have, you know, human intervention in order to, to respond and to retaliate. It's, uh, you know, kind of like they, they talked about in, in Dr. Strangelove, it's, you know, doomsday device. It's only effective as a deterrent if somebody knows about it. And in mm-hmm. Colossus, they, they say right up front, we've, we've just built and activated this thing. It's a deterrent. If you try to attack us, it will end you. Mm-hmm. We hope it doesn't ever actually have to, to do so, but it will. And we don't have to do anything more about it. Whereas in, in war games, you know, the, the Whopper computer, it's, it's a little more more attack forward mm-hmm. as, as yeah. opposed to being defensive. Mm-hmm. So it's it's I mean, yeah, what what it ends up doing is is gaming out, you know, response and, and defense strategies. But it's 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 engaged in in warfare. It's it's not about you know necessarily preventing it's its whole thrust is it, it's starting from a different point along the the whole conversation in, in the progression of, of things. So I find that interesting. Um, I like that it it didn't turn into this you know you know petulant child. Like I said, it's it's more grounded and and sort of coldly logical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has some some capacity for for reason that we we don't quite see in in Colossus. It's like oh, and it's able to to relate one thing to another and and understand. Oh, wait a minute, this means this means this over here. Yeah, uh, it's. I, I find it much more credible. I mean, you know, technology exactly like that. I, I think, you know, even with all the, you know, current stuff around, you know, machine learning and, you know, large language models and such, it's like, we're, we're not there yet. That's, that's the other big leap is, you know, mm-hmm. you know, computers and movies, you know, processing natural language. It's like, yeah, we, we still don't really have that down. It's like, you know, if you, you ask your, you know, digital assistant of choice, I'm not going to say the wake words here. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they're they still get things wrong. It's like, I yeah. think you said this. Is that right? I can search the web for you. Yeah, no, not not quite exactly what I said, and not what I meant either. So yeah, that's that aside. No, I I found war games overall much more realistic. Well, you have to type in to talk to it. Like you're yeah. like they yeah, say there's... it out loud because for us the audience, but they you yeah. in order for them they have to type it in in order to communicate. Unlike yeah. Forbin. Um, although in, in, uh, in Colossus, they, they start out having, to, yeah, they start out yeah. having to do it that way. Yeah. 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 There's a, a typewriter wired into the computer. <laughs> yeah. Attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, one thing that I do think that, that, uh, Forbin may have over war games. Um, I agree with you with, with all the other stuff, but the, the thing that I, the, there's an element that Forbin brings that is not in war games that. I think adds a little bit more like realisticness is that they actually work with Russia a lot or, or the Soviet union a lot to yeah, like solve yeah. the problem. And they don't really do that in war games. And, and part of that is, is like the, 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 the cold war had just gotten that more intense mm. as time went by. But, you know, when you think about like, he's talking to people, he's talking to the Russian people all the time in, in Dr. Strangelove. So like, you know, that yeah. kind of, that may be telling us more about the time than anything, but like, that was something that I feel like in, if we were really in this situation, there probably would be more cooperation amongst each other. A and, little bit, perhaps. And that um, is, and that is something that I think is part of the message of Forbin is that like, we need something really big to get us together in order for us to get past this. 
Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and there's there's a little bit of that in war games. It happens off screen. They they yeah. they mention a few times like the the Russians say they haven't done this. They yeah, and it's just know, a no line, those yeah. those those missiles yeah. are not there. And no, we haven't scrambled any planes. And mm-hmm. you know, and we 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 know these Russian subs are down there. It's like, no, they're they're not. And so, so so there is there is some communication, but like you know, we we don't have the the president of the u.s as a character in war games per se he's mentioned it, a couple of times and it is reagan like it is because they have a picture of ronald reagan so they like yeah yeah it's not fake kennedy that we have <laughs> so yeah. yeah so there's 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 a little bit of that there uh and it happens off screen mostly for the sake of expediency i think i mean we've, we've got I, I enough agree, characters yeah. already in the film and and they're developed just enough to tell the story and right. no more Right. But I, I do think that like kind of cooperation end of things is something that Forbin is getting at in its message that war games isn't so much. And and that's okay. I mean, yeah. they're telling different stories, but that is, yeah. if there's one thing where, where I feel like they're kind of getting at the same thing, but albeit with different means, like that's one piece of the message that Forbin has that I don't think war games does. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely agree. So great for war games. Uh, B plus. Yeah, that's that's the same thing to me. This is quite an A for me, but it's it's you know better movie overall than than Colossus. Yeah, no, I agree. It's um, pretty much yeah, like uh, this movie is rewatchable. Um, Yeah, Forbin isn't not rewatchable, but it's not something I'm gonna want like want to go to on the regular. Like, yeah, yeah. I I would have to have a a specific something in in mind to want to go back to Colossus. War games I might just put on casually. Yeah, I think part of it is that it doesn't have that like stuffiness. I can't tell you like which movie is quote unquote smarter, but they definitely one is definitely going to hit the audience better than the other. So, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so all right, so before we put our atomic summer into the silos or however um i wanted to like take a moment for us to talk about other movies that we you know didn't get to talk to for whatever reason mm-hmm. um but yeah so like uh, what do you so you know other atomic atomic age atomic focus movies that uh that we need to talk about that you uh would like to mention tim uh so i i don't think we actually have any other movies that that i thought of that we mm-hmm. we didn't really cover um i i know there are others but nothing really came to mind in in our discussions like i i brought up a few that that you hadn't thought of and mm-hmm. i think we you know two or three of those and we've covered them um so i i feel like that's good uh there there is some some prior art for um you know ai and and yeah. war uh mostly in in the form of uh, short stories. Yeah, I was I was particularly reminded of uh, a couple of different stories by by Asimov. Uh, one mm. called "The Machine That Won the War." Mm. Very very short story. It's you know okay. It's the end of a you know a long war, you know interstellar war, and it's it's these these three you know people you know like a military general and and like a you know political cabinet appointee and 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 a, a technology guy. And you know well, yeah, you know we we owe this victory to this this computer and and how it projected things and and well they they gradually all admit well i mean i i kind of fudged some of these inputs a little bit <laughs> you know based on my own analysis because i can look at this and and see things and so okay so the computer's getting some some inputs that were maybe not quite correct and and you know the the, the military guy says well I mean, yeah I, I i looked at these these projections that the computer spit out and it's well i but but the computer doesn't have you know, the experience and the human element. So I, my own recommendations based on that weren't always exactly what the computer said. And, and, you know, ultimately it's, you know, the, the guy who, you know, was, you know, 
feeding the computer. So, well, I mean, a machine did win the war because yeah. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he pulls out a coin. Mm. Heads or tails, guys. <laughs> That's fun. All right. Yeah. So there's uh, there's a like so uh, when I made the trailer, I uh, the for for this series, I put in a clip from from an atomic or, or nuclear noir, um, "Kiss Me Deadly," which is about Mike Hammer, who's a private detective, like tough as nails, <laughs> private detective who goes and is like like looking out for this like case of of something that he doesn't know what it is. Turns out it's radioactive material, and that's. That was like I put that in the trailer. Um, that's a listen, Mike. I'm just going to tell you some some words. The bunch of letters that don't mean anything, but they you know, are, are, are are I don't <laughs> yeah. But I mean that was in the trailer. Um, but so like Kiss Me Deadly is is one to check out. Um, but a probably more fitting uh, nuclear noir would be Split Second, which is about a a uh, some some criminals um, uh, break out of jail and then hold themselves up in this in this uh, ghost town that used to be a mining town that is about to be blown up for a nuclear test. And they've like taken some people hostage and they're like working to like get out and everything. And so like that one's, that, that one would fit well. If, there's a number of like nuclear power movies that are like, you know, like the China syndrome and, and stuff like that, but that didn't really quite fit this. Um, but Dabney Coleman is in a nuclear meltdown movie that I could call that. Um, I'm not 100% sure I should call it that, but called uh, The Apple Gates, which you can find on YouTube. Um, it's not, it was put on in VHS and hasn't ever been on anything else, but it's about um, Amazonian shape-shifting bugs who come to Ohio to cause a nuclear meltdown in order to take over the world because the cockroaches are supposed to be all that's left. And this stars Ed Bagley Jr. and Stalker Channing. Um, it is very bizarre. Dabney Coleman is their leader. And uh, okay, check out the trailer. It's bizarre. And uh, I found it in college and really liked it. So um, it's one of the weirdest movies you're ever going to find. Um, but like, that's not exactly a, an atomic movie. But um, but two movies that I got that are post-apocalypse or but pre-dystopia movies. <laughs> um, and so one is Stanley Kramer's On the Beach with Gregory Peck which is World War III has already happened and we're all just waiting it out for the new, uh, for the, for the radiation to kill us all. <laughs> and mm. uh, yeah, so that one's a real bummer, but very interesting. But so like, I would recommend checking that one out. And then uh, Rayma Land made a movie called Panic in Year Zero, which is about a family who, who leave Los Angeles to go on like a fishing camping trip. And then as they were leaving, like just, a couple of hours after they leave Los Angeles gets bombed and there's like all these other cities have been destroyed and stuff. And this is only like a few days timeline wise, but it's about kind of the deterioration of civilization for a short amount of time. It's a Roger that's a, well, I don't think it's Roger Corman, but it is an American international movie and it's like directed by Ray Milan and starring him. And so like that one was pretty interesting. Um, the lead villains are a couple of biker greaser types and they're kind of lame, but it's still an interesting little curio from the time. So yeah, that, that, that's what I had. Oh, oh, but going back to On the Beach. Um, so On the Beach also features Fred Astaire in a death race. So <laughs> if there's anything you want to check out that's bizarre, check that out. Okay. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that qualifies. Yeah. Um, and you know, there, there are other, you know, post-apocalypse movies. Yeah. That, I didn't uh, may or may not have been nuclear weapon related. Yeah. Um, like I know. figured if we did post-apocalypse movies, we would have been doing something else. And that, and those two movies are literally post-apocalypse pre-dystopia kind of thing. Like it's just like literally things just happened. So it's, 
like it doesn't even really feel like a post-apocalypse movie but i wouldn't know what else to call it so yeah, yeah. like we we didn't cover things like you know say uh mad max or the postman or or you know, uh a boy and his dog yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that that is one we 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 mentioned but that yeah. didn't end up covering so, so yeah and that's okay like i, I kind of feel like if we were just having an apocalypse focus like that would make more sense so yeah yeah but yeah so yeah that is our atomic summer everybody thank you for coming along with us maybe check your radiation levels when you get a sec but uh yeah <laughs> yep uh and uh, of course, there there are more movies coming out all mm-hmm. the time, and even more movies that have already been made that we haven't watched or haven't talked about. So we'll have more episodes in the not very distant future. <laughs> but for now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Strange game. The only winning move is not to play. How about a nice game of chess? <laughs>